0: And yeah, today we really want to focus on health education, and health education teacher education. I think that as HEAT faculty, uh, we typically work very closely um, with HEAT colleagues, and sometimes there's actually more of a disconnect than we would like um, between the two disciplines. And so we're really um, grateful to be able to have this discussion today. Um, to be able to um, learn from our HEAT colleagues and our health education colleagues, um, and and, and really have some discussions around um, things that are important to them. Um, We do have two panelists today, but I also know that we also have a lot of other HEAT folks who may have joined us, and we welcome their perspectives as well as those of the broader PEAT community throughout the discussion today. Um, Our panelists. um, Sarah Bennis, um, Associate Clinical Professor in the School of Health Sciences at Merrimack College, and Jamie Hurley, um, who's joining us from the Colorado Department of Education, um, where he is the Comprehensive Health and Physical Education Principal Consultant. And so they um, will be responding to a series of prompts, but we'd really love for this to be very conversational and have other folks Um, jump in um, and add their perspectives from their programs or um, other kind of questions and things that folks may have um, for them as we go throughout. Um, So with that, I'm going to throw it over
1: to Emily, who's going to kick us off with our first prompts. Thanks, Jamie. And thanks for those of you who are joining us, whether this is your first time or you are a re, uh, or you are returning as a, a member of the collaborative. We're so excited to have your voice and perspectives. Um, so. As Jamie said, we're going to kind of uh, throw some prompts to our panelists, but because this is conversational, um, after we hear from Sarah and Jamie and their thoughts, we'd love for you to um, raise your hand in either response to or in addition to expand some of the things that you're seeing at your own institution or in your region. So get ready to um, share and extend this conversation. For those of you who would like to engage in the chat, we've got some collaborative members who are ready to um, uh, engage there. And we've seen that that chat is another like really great way to back channel. Uh, for those of you who might not be ready to raise your hand, that's totally fine. Or if you've got an idea or a resource that you wanna share, the chat is also a great place to put that. So Sarah and Jamie, we thank you for joining us. It's hard to represent a whole discipline uh, and we're not asking you to share uh, or be the only solo voices from HEAT, um, but we're thankful that you're here and um, willing to, to speak on behalf of you and your colleagues from the contexts that you um, are serving. And we know we had other HEAT faculty in different places joining us on this call. And we're so thankful that you're here and hope that you join us Uh, monthly as we host uh, these meetings uh, to continue the conversation so. When we kicked off 2022 one of the things that we did within this collaborative was we asked what are some of the critical issues facing Pete. And what are some solutions so. Um, we can't answer the question, but you can. Uh, what are some of those critical issues that you're facing in health ed teacher ed? And what are some solutions that you think uh, would be viable uh, or you'd like to bring to the table as dreams moving forward? So Jamie or Sarah, we're kind of putting that out to you. And um, I don't know who wants to you know, rock, paper, scissors to go first, but critical issues facing heat. We'd love to hear your thoughts.
2: Well, I think um, you know, Sarah, you might be able to answer so a little bit better. But you know, my perspective is is really coming from you know the um, is the from a state level and working with teachers across the state and um, in Colorado uh, specifically. Um, you know, I can kind of speak to some of those K twelve um, uh, issues that we're facing, but I'm sure there's some similarities. Um, You know, um so Sarah, I don't know if you want to start and I could add to that from the from the kind of teacher ed perspective.
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jamie. Um, and thanks thanks for having us here this afternoon. Um, or it's afternoon for me, it's four here. Um so I was just actually talking about this. So I think um for me, what arises um I think are potentially two, at least two, two are coming to mind. Um it sort of challenges a, a third being, um, just, you know, in general teacher shortages, right? I think that, so I don't want to like not acknowledge that, but the other two things I think are kind of an issue of branding, um, and, and then also an issue of research. So, and those, those are, those are not unrelated either. So, um, what I mean by branding is I think a lot of times when people think of health ed, they still just think of the health ed that they had. And unfortunately, the health ed that has previously been happening was often, you know, not high quality, not effective, you know, like it's just, so I, so that's what I mean by branding is I think, I think people when they hear, well, so not only do I think people think of, you know, sort of what they understand health ed to be like, what th- their experience was, I also don't even know that like, you know, if we asked everybody on this call to say what health ed means, if we would even have the same, you know, so I I think it's a combination of a lot of people not sort of knowing what health education like looks like. And then you're referring back to your experience because that's what any of us can, right? Like refer back to if we don't have another context. And then even just the thinking about how we like, and again, I don't, the branding is the best way I can think about it, but like how we brand health education so that people do really know what that means. And that when people hear health education, They're thinking like high quality, like skill focus, like through equity and trauma informed lenses, right? Like that's what I want people to think of when they think of, look, I'm getting all fired up. I've been so tired, but you're getting me all fired up. So I think that's like one issue is like, we've got to get on the same page about what we mean when we say health education, and then we need to like work with principals and superintendents and we need to show them why this matters and why health education is valuable. However, we have a huge lack of research in this space. So myself and some colleagues, we just wrote a research review on this. There is not a robust set of literature that we can go back to that, that, that really gives evidence that like school health education and the way that, you know, like a lot of it's homegrown, which is awesome, but like the way that it's often typically taught is not what we have research on. We have a lot of research on things like the Michigan model or other like packaged programs that don't necessarily reflect what health education actually looks like. So when we go into schools and we're like, you need health education and they're like, okay, really? Like, tell me why. It's more based on that sort of like, you know, well, you need it because we know that health and wellness matters, right? And health education works, but they're like, but tell me how my, you know, anyway. So I think it's like a, it's kind of a, it, they're connected issues. So I think to me, to not just focus on the problems, I think we need to sort of consensus build around what we mean when we say health education. And then I think we need to do both the like research work and also just kind of like that on the ground grassroots effort to help schools understand that this is what we mean when we say health education. And how can you possibly say that this is not valuable? Like, especially in light of like what is going on right now, right? And like, we have to show that we are SEL and we are mental health and we're all the things that you say you want in your schools, we are it. Oh God, get off my soapbox, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs>
2: what do you want to add? Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right there. And I think it's it's, it's thinking about comprehensive health education also, that, it, that, that health education is not just about sex and drugs, that it is much broader than that, because so often that's where we get pinned into. And we talk about researching. We need to research that comprehensive approach, because there is some research out there around specific topical areas that we know work. But when we talk schools, we want it to be comprehensive covering all those areas and being skill-based and all of those things, which I'm sure we'll get to later. Um, you know, so I think that that is really an important piece for us to consider is that comprehensive um, aspect of it. Um, and, you know, the, the, the other piece that I think is really important, um, and this is kind of leaning into um, a little bit of kind of the K-12 space is that you know, we still have this huge focus on reading, writing, and communicating, and math, and and you know, we we've had this shift, I think, recently, which is a good shift that folks are seeing the importance of social emotional learning and wellness and the connection. And I think we've made a lot of progress and progress in that specific area. My fear is that we're going to shift back into saying we've had we have had some um, some missed learning opportunities during this pandemic. And we really need to double down on math and reading, writing, and communicating. I think specifically math is where I'm, much of the focus will be, in my my opinion, and that we're going to start double dosing math again. And we know that that's not going to be the best thing for, for students. Um, and uh, so I just think it's really important for us as an opportunity to say, look, we know that students need the social-emotional learning support along with the other academic pieces that that do need to be focused on too, and really, really try to keep that balance with kind of using that whole school, whole child approach um, that we wanna have, which is so much part of what health education is, in my opinion.
1: Jamie and Sarah, this is sort of a follow-up to Jamie, what you just mentioned about kind of the WISC model and a, a comprehensive approach. How do we get people on the same page, right? Sarah, you mentioned there's a little bit of an identity crisis. You didn't use those words, um, but but I think uh, Jamie McMullen in the chat mentioned, right? Like those are those are common issues that um, PE teacher ed faculty, I think probably experience as well, where there's a bit of like, everyone on the call might say that the purpose of PE is a little bit different, maybe, right? There's some philosophical differences. So um, if like a, a comprehensive approach to health education and K-12, but also teacher ed uh, is to occur, how do we all sort of get on a similar page or at least in the same book? Thoughts?
3: Um, <laughs> I was hoping maybe you all would have some ideas for that here. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think we need to keep, um, I think we need to keep building opportunities like this for collaboration. Um, I kind of hope, I hadn't thought about this necessarily before you just asked the question, But I mean, I hope that with like new standards coming out from SHAPE for both phys ed and health ed, that that represents a really great opportunity to like have these conversations in a, in a really like meaningful way aligned with, um, you know, aligned with new standards coming out. Um, I think that presents an opportunity for us all to think about what that means. But I do think it's a lot lot of it's collaboration. Like, I think that's what's so cool about this group, right? Is like, it's people coming from all over to have these conversations together. And even, so, you know, right now I'm not um, as much in higher ed, um, I'm in higher ed, but not in heat in my job. But when I was at BU, like we didn't come together as a group, even within the state really to like talk about these things. And so I, I just, I think that we just need collectively as a higher ed community to, you know, have more of these spaces and because I think like that, you know, I don't think we all have to necessarily be like completely on the same page, but like we have to be like heading in the same direction. And I just, I don't think we're quite there yet. So I think more continued conversation and, you know, I think there's like a role for, you know, organizations, right? Like shape to help, you know, move these conversations forward. And then thinking about how do we then, um, work collaboratively to support each other um, in this work. And I I think this maybe is one of the questions coming up, but I mean, I do think there's a real opportunity for, and someone I think mentioned it in the chat, right? Like about people don't even know that these things are opportunities to major in. Um, You know, and so many times we're still seeing, right? Like a lot of physical educators are often asked to do health, but they don't need any health training to be a health teacher. You know, so I feel like it's this combination of, just kind of as a as like a field kind of having these opportunities to 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 build some consensus around it you know and then also thinking, which again is why I think this uh, this opportunity is so cool and I'm really grateful to be here to like think about how we collectively work together so that we are kind of supporting each other and not taking away from either thing right because I think sometimes that can be what the conversation defaults to and that has always really bothered me um, because I think we want to really think of it as like, you know, an additive thing, right? Like, there's a real there's a real opportunity for us to work together to support student health and well being, which is like what we're all trying to do, right? Is to prepare teachers to go out in the field and support student health and well being. So, how do we, you know, continue these conversations so that we are like working toward that end um, in a really collaborative and meaningful way? So, I don't know if I actually answer that question. Um, and yeah, it shouldn't be either or, right? Like, getting out of that binary thinking is just a good thing to do in general, right? And so so how do we, you know, I mean, then this is a start, right? Right, All of us being here right now is a start to make that thing happen. So I don't know, Jamie, what would you add?
2: Yeah, I was just thinking that, you know, I, I do think that the standards are an opportunity to make those connections, you know, as the, the standards are being revised and, and updated for both health and physical education through shape that there are a lot of opportunities to make the connections there um, realizing that they are different content areas with different you know skills needed to teach them um, but there's such an overlap and I think anytime we can collaborate to make those connections it's going to help us and I think that this is just an opportunity coming up that we really have to to make it easier for teachers to say you know physical education teachers that are asked to teach health education or, or vice versa to really make the connection between the two.
3: And can I just add to? Oh, sorry. Um, oh. I just was thinking about that and sort of building a little bit on what um, I think George was mentioning in the chat. Like, I do think that we also have to, right? Like, get our get our kind of um, ourselves together. And I I really do think it's also um, thinking about. How do we have these conversations with decision makers in school as well, right? Because I think there's an opportunity for advocacy, even if we are still working through the identity crisis. And I'm not sure that we're doing that effectively um, or, you know, and so I, th- I think as we're right, because sometimes I worry that as we're like, OK, well, we have to come to this consensus and we have to rebrand. We can't wait till we get there to continue to advocate for this need because the need is there now, right? And I really think that we have an opportunity to um, reinforce the value of this. Um, You know, there's a quote I use sometimes, it's like, you know, in the midst of chaos, there's opportunity, right? And so like trying to find the opportunity that exists in our world right now to continue and maybe even differently advocate and say like, you know, we can help with some of these things, right? Like this can be a primary intervention to, you know, to use public health language, right? To kind of help address some of these skills and, and build it. Um, so I guess I would also say that, you know, as we are maybe kind of having the sort of like intellectual conversations around some of this to not let that like on the ground advocacy, you know, sort of fall away. I think it has to be again, like a both and.
1: Sarah. Hey, Kim's got her hand raised. Kim, go ahead and unmute and share your thoughts.
4: I was going to say I had a conversation with a teacher the other day doing a workshop, and one of the things really resonated with me as we were talking about the standards being updated, and they said, you know, it just seems like we're always behind, because while we're talking about EDI and all those kinds of things that we want to, you know, make sure that we're incorporating their kids are already talking about that. You know, we weren't talking about that when we were in school, but their kids already talking about things that we're just now thinking about, you know, um, inclusion and other things. So how do we stay ahead of those societal um, issues? And, and I know we don't know what's to come specifically, but it just, it, it always seems like we're trying to play catch up, you know um, I don't know, just trying to think and ponder about how we can ever be
5: in out in front. Thanks, Kim. Go ahead, Phil. Um, I, I totally agree with what Sarah and Jamie have said. I think the crisis in health is far worse than the crisis in physical education. Can any of you think, I, don't, I can't find any, where doctoral students are prepared in health right now? In our, in our study uh, of every, every health education program in the United States, the average number of health classes was three. That students got. I, I don't know how you could become, how you could meet CAPE requirements with three classes, but that was what we found. Um, uh, it's, it, there is a trend uh, in Michigan and, and Pennsylvania, not so much a requirement, but there's a trend for PE and health to be a single degree. That's a really good idea philosophically. It's a terrible idea, in terms of keeping it to the same amount of credit hours. And so, you know, the better route is to have um, a, um, uh, a-, a, as an add-on or a double major, but combining it to, as, the, as the state of Michigan has required is a death knell for both content areas, uh, because there's, there's simply not enough expertise uh, that, stu- that teachers get uh, trained in. Uh, the research on health, I don't know anybody who's doing research on health pedagogy. Uh, a few years ago, I looked at the major health journals and I was appalled. And I went back 15 years to look for um, research on how we talk about health pedagogy and getting a health article in Joford, though it's welcome, is not that common. Uh, and we really need to we really need to help teachers with helping them to learn with health Pedagogy. I uh, so my my sort of take home is I'm I'm terribly worried about the status of health, both in terms of the teachers we're training, because the teachers who actually do know health are close to retirement age, and um, the new folks coming in, uh, including those from my own university, are nowhere near as trained as well trained as they were twenty years ago. Just my my observations.
0: You, um, Jamie or Sarah, do
6: you want to
2: respond to either Kim or Phil's comments? No, but I was going to ask Kim. I thought she had the crystal ball to see what those were going to be looking ahead. We were looking for you to, to share that with us today. Um, you know, I think I, I would totally agree. Um, you know, the, the other thing I think as a part of advocacy as part of that is I do think that there's a lack of state and district requirements for health education that are out there. And so, you know, I think, you know, what is, what is the demand on the other side of it, in terms of schools? And, and that's on, that's on states to really, and school districts to really require health education, PK through 12. And, um, and, and that's something that I think needs to happen, um, you know, across the country. I don't know, Sarah, you might know the exact numbers of states that require, but I, I don't know many that have like a pk through 12 requirement they might have a graduation requirement but i think a graduation requirement is great but if we really want to see behavior change we've got to do a pk through 12 we can't just say it's a graduation requirement high school and um and so that's um that's the other piece that i think can, can be an advocacy um, space that we can't do But higher ed might be able to from a from a state department perspective um, but that might be something higher ed can do
3: yeah, I think it's really interesting because, um, you know, like right now in New York, um, I don't know if anyone here is in New York, right? But there's a big advocacy. Oh yeah, Victor, I know, I see at least you, I know you're from New York, right? So there's a push right now to get to get people to advocate for a position at the state level, right? So, I mean, there really is a, a, a real lack of infrastructure, I think at lots of different levels um, related to this. And I think it speaks to a question that I think, um, Risto you put in here. Like, so, you know, how do we, so how do we best prepare and building on like what, what, you know, Phil had shared. I think it's really tough. You know, I was working on the, when shape revised the health education teacher ed standards, we constantly had this conversation about how do we make a robust set of standards, knowing that some programs have like two health classes or whatever, right? And like, if we set a minimum amount of credits in like the health education, you know, teacher ed standards, then that's going to potentially, you know, I mean, so it's, it's a really, I mean, I think it really is um, an interesting challenge. And I also do have concerns around like where the field goes from here. If we're not, you know, if we're not having the opportunity to prepare people like we know that they need to be, um, you know, and I guess I still remain hopeful that like there's potential to, um, you know, create these opportunities like people are sharing, right? Some of these four plus twos and, you know, even if it is, um, one or two courses, it's, it's certainly not ideal, but it's, it's like better than, cause part and then it goes back to licensure, right? Which is like another issue. So if states are just allowing for people to take tests and becoming a health teacher, with at the same time, like I was just having a conversation today again. They're like, but it's not like you'd have a math teacher teach English, and you wouldn't, right? But we don't value health education and physical education as like meaningful subjects. So I, I do think it's like very a cyclical kind of you know rabbit hole to sort of go down. But that is why I think, and Jamie, you were mentioning this, right? Like we have to keep doing that advocacy at the same time as we're trying to be really, I think, creative and thoughtful. Um, you know, cause maybe we can't always prepare them, but then like, what are the mechanisms that we might be able to do through higher ed to then offer like affordable professional development for our you know, teachers? What are like the mentoring programs that we might be able to develop for students to support them in this basis? So like, you know, maybe because the reality is like, in, you know, in higher ed, I don't know if you are all feeling it, but we're certainly feeling a lot of like pinch, you know, to, to try to be as effective as possible and limited resources. So I think part of what we need to do is like, you know, get creative and like, what are the other ways that we as higher ed institutions can, you know, like for example, at Merrimack, we have a program, I forget what it actually stands for, but it's it's called mints. Um, but it's like for new teachers that's constantly offering like free programming to teachers in our area, especially for new teachers. So like Are there other places, like can any of you, right, like have a similar thing or like get funding from your institution to offer these kind of opportunities where we are supporting, um, you know, our educate, I'd also love to see it for elementary educators like let's get our elementary educators doing more health ed right like get them some courses get them some PD um, and maybe just be really creative about like, if we, we know we have these, you know, restrictions and we might not be able to change some of that. So, okay. Like, what can we do? Right. And what, what opportunities do we have in our spaces? And I'm sorry, Victor, I see your hand. So I'll stop talking and. Vic, go ahead and share your thoughts. There's
1: so
2: much. Yeah, on. Great I know.
7: Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree that the situation is currently very dismal. In fact, when I'm teaching, uh, uh, at York, uh, I come across students in the, uh, health uh health program and when i ask what exact health are you referencing they'll say most of them is either community health uh really i'll get an education you know so i will try to steer them in that direction and give them the right rationale for why is it uh it's another important element of, of the health health program uh here also in the new york city department of education one of the uh incentive and i know that this is something that is uh, may not be the solution, but at least uh, is an attempt because we know that it's very hard to find health educators. Uh, we have a collaboration, uh, the Office of School Wellness Program, New York City Department of Education. We have a collaboration with Lehman College, in which we uh, offer uh, physical educators who would like to have a dual licensing in health education, and uh, it's paid for. So they go in and they they take this uh, robust health education program for for an entire year, and then hopefully, uh, of course, take their exams and, uh, and have a health certification. But I just want to share that piece there. But I do agree with the, uh, the uh, advocacy. And I think that during our courses, whenever we come across those students, we try to steer them in that direction, but give them a rationale that is uh, that is uh, tangible, something that is meaningful. And I, I always go in the direction of the mental health uh, need and uh, social emotional need and these these aspects of uh, health education to try to steer them in that direction. Uh, the response has been positive, but uh, I want to see the outcome. So I just want to share that. Thank you.
0: Thanks for sharing that, Vic, and appreciate everyone being here again. Um, lots of great conversation also occurring in the chat too. So if folks are um, catching up with the chat, and we'll probably. Come to a couple of you um, that have put some things in there of interest um, for a future for prompts that we're going to be covering a little bit um, later. So I want to kind of um, switch focuses slightly a little bit um, to Jamie back to Jamie and um, Sarah. And then obviously, again, welcoming um, input from everyone. Um, if any of you are like me in my PE prep program, I had one health education course. I actually don't remember what we were taught in that course. Um, we have one class at UNC. We used to have no classes. um, And you know, we Den Krause particularly really advocated for us to get a health methods class um, on the books because a lot of our students do graduate and are asked to to teach health education. So I guess my question kind of for Jamie and Sarah, this is really broad, but um, also folks here like to want to know from you as far as your thoughts on this. Um, But you know, what should we in programs, like especially for those of us that just have one course, you know, that we're teaching, like what do you want us to do? And what do you want us to stop doing? Because I'm sure there's things that we're doing that are probably contributing to the problem because as Sarah, you mentioned in the outset, you know, we base off our experiences and with the lack of research and different things that has been mentioned, you know, it's sometimes hard for us to know since that's not our area of expertise, you know, um, what we should be doing in PE programs and what we should be teaching. Um, so I know that's really broad, um, but maybe Sarah, do you want to jump in first and then Jamie can follow up?
3: Sure. <laughs> um, so we're thinking about like what 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 we'd like to see, if we have like a one, if like a one course, what do we like to see in health education, if we have one course to do it, is that kind of the frame? And what do I not? Would I not want to see? <laughs> is that right? Like a right summary of the question? Okay. Um, yeah. Well, so I think for me, um, I mean, probably won't surprise anyone on here. I'd love to see a skills based focus on um, health education, right? So, um, really building on. A focus on supporting students' ability to develop skills, which I think is also a great opportunity to connect to phys ed, because the the way that you teach skills in the gym is actually basically the same model that you teach the health skills. You're just doing it for different kinds of skills. You still do the intro, you do the skill cues, you do the modeling, you do the practice. It's very similar. It's just shifting that paradigm into the classroom. So I think that focus on skills definitely needs to be there. Um, I personally I'm like on my own journey of thinking about what this what this looks like so it's not exactly like a a full answer um but I also think um and so this this is like Sarah's answer I'm not saying that anyone else in the health field necessarily agrees with what I'm about to say but this is where my brain is going um is that I'd also love to see more of a focus on um well-being as opposed to avoiding risky behavior. So, a lot of health is like, don't do drugs, don't have sex, don't drink Coke, you know, whatever, right? It's like, it's all the things that you're not supposed to do, not supposed to do to stay healthy. And yet, um, you know, we're, we're, there's so, so we're like framing health from a negative. And health should be about well being. How can you be well? Yes. Thank you, Catherine. Strength based, right? Asset based, resource based. So, and I think when you make that shift, it also is going to like force all of us to think about. So how do I do that in a way that's inclusive? How do I teach health education and nutrition so that my students who are experiencing food insecurity still feel supported in my health class? How do I teach health in a way that my student who doesn't have access to certain kind of things easily? How do I help them get what they need? how do I help my students advocate for changes in their community, right? So like that to me is like when you start focusing on well-being and broaden what health education means and what it looks like to just beyond avoiding risky behaviors, it opens up this like whole new world, right? That like actually I think is where we want to go, you know? And and I think that that makes it more exciting. It makes it more equitable. It makes it more inclusive. Um, and it makes health a thing that, like, why wouldn't you want to go talk about that, right? Like all the ways that I can be well, you know, all the ways that I can think about,, um, you know, supporting my health and well-being, and it's not just gonna be, you know, again, like, I don't know. So that's where like I've been thinking. So again, that's just like my personal kind of thought process around, like I think, part of what we need to do as, you know, because I mean, I know that there are things that students need to know, but the more that I like learn and the more that I kind of dive into trying to understand, health and well-being from like multiple perspectives, like within different communities. I think we're really limiting our potential by always framing it in this kind of negative risk avoidance way. And I would love to see us push toward well-being. Um, And I think that also like lends itself really well to like physical education, right? And like supporting their ability to go out and be well it's not like you're teaching phys ed so that they like it's not a focus on always just avoiding being sedentary right you're like a joy of movement and like how to be a lifelong mover like that's what i want to see in health like the joy of health and well being and like how to support their ability to you know maintain you know and support like you know health and well being for themselves and their communities so I don't even know if that answered your question, but I really appreciate the opportunity to share that with you all. That's that's Sarah Bennis's current thinking around what I would love to see health well, education look like. So, so the next textbook you write is going to be the Sarah
0: Bennis Health Education. <laughs> the approach curriculum. to health education yes, love 100%. It. Well, we can shorten it to the, the, the SB, you know, um, uh, so SB yeah, approach. Exactly. Um, I'll jump over to Jamie quickly to see if he has a follow-up and then Tyler will bring you in.
2: Um, you know, I went I went with this question, I went like right to the questions that I get almost on a daily basis at the state level. These are the kind of questions that I get. Um, you know, it's all about sexual health. That's, those are 75% of the questions that I get. And it's how do I teach this? How do I answer difficult questions? Um, you know, I think the other thing that it's so boring, but I get this all the time, is like, and again, what should you be teaching? It's about, it's, unfortunately, some of it is about state policies, because that's what I always get. It's like, I get questions about, well, what does this policy really mean around sexual health? Or what does this policy really mean about that? So really having an understanding of of what policies guide health education? That being the standards, but it's also other legislation. I know that's a hard thing to do in higher ed because it's so it's so different than what we really. But those are the questions that I'm constantly getting. And then the other piece that I think is really really important is to really um, have folks be able to use health education data to guide their courses and to guide what they're teaching. So using you know, whether it's local data, whether it's YRBS data, but how can you take that data about student behaviors um, and help use that to guide your focus for teaching um, health education? So those are kind of the three, I've got more, but those are kind of the three big pieces that I like see all the time, you know, weekly around questions that I get at the State Department.
3: Can I just jump in real quick? I know you wanted to go to someone else, but can I just say one more thing before I (laughs) forget it? Um, So yes, to everything that Jamie shared. And that's a great point, Jamie, too, is like making sure we're really thinking about how to prepare students for the things that they might be less confident about, too, right? I think that's a great point. Um, And the things that they're also going to have to address in their programs. The other thing, too, is I think it's really important to make sure that we're preparing our teachers. I know I've said this before, but I think it's really important, especially in health education is like how can you do it in a trauma-informed and equity-focused perspective because health education topics can be really you know can re-traumatize students potentially right and and so being really thoughtful about um you know and I know we can't ever do that in just one class I mean it's a lifelong journey but I think just introducing um our our pre-service teachers to that perspective and like how to sort of think about being mindful of this and what kind of connections you might want to make when you know certain topics you might want to reach out to school counselors ahead of time. So just giving them that sort of perspective on like how to really support students in health education because I think you know so many of the topics just can connect to um, you know p- potential trauma or adversity that students are facing or have it faced. So yeah, that's a really good point. I think to add on, um, and I think
0: something probably too that. Um, very low trained physical education teachers that end up teaching health really struggle with, and the school is how to do that appropriately because you know those are things that I think even some of us on this call would struggle with in you know our years of of teaching. So um, Tyler, I'll um, ask you to jump in if you want to share.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so our program currently offers a second teaching field that our PE majors can opt into for a health education. And with enough of the crossover, it's only 15 additional credit hours, um, but that would tack on an additional semester. Uh, what's kind of happened, though, is we found out is uh, our students have begun to make business decisions, uh, seeing that that would tack on an extra semester. So they say, hey, I'll just go take the practice test uh, and then I can te- uh, teach health education. When we went to the data to see, OK, so who in Kansas is actually uh, teaching health education? It's like over 70 percent are the PE teachers and many of which um, aren't even licensed, but they still have to teach it in like small blocks. Um, so for that, the numbers in our health education actually drops low enough where uh, our board of regents recommended that we merge the programs together.
7: And it was just because that uh, 15 credit hours was tacking on some of the students to just strictly opted out of it. Yeah,
0: I think that's always a challenge, right, um, from, from that perspective of they don't want to add time onto their program. And when they find out that they really don't need the actual degree that they can just take, you know, the task that's, um, that comes up. And um, we'll go to Erin Senteo, and then Christy, you'll be next.
6: Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, I think that Hawaii, the state of Hawaii is kind of struggling along that same lines where um, UH Manoa actually dropped their health certification, I don't know, due to accreditation reasons with InCATE back in maybe 2004 or something. But what we realized was that there was no one in the state um, certifying in health education. And so the people that were getting jobs in health education were essentially RPE teachers that were very unprepared to teach health ed. And so um, what we've done over the last couple of years is kind of redesigned our program to include health education with 30 credit hours um, that count towards health education to kind of do this dual certification with 120 credit hours and it's just really tight um, but it's doable and I think one of, I know someone put in the chat um, there's a, a led through it's funded through CDC but by Sophie and they have like a health education I don't have the right language you can look in the chat but there's like a, a summer institute essentially and so I participated in that last summer and essentially just got a better idea of thinking about standards. Obviously, we know that SOPI has their own health education standards that are different from Shape America standards. And we follow Shape America standards, but I think just having different perspectives because my, my, I myself am a trained physical education teacher, although certified in health ed, um, I, I don't necessarily feel prepared to create that programming, but it was a good experience to kind of figure out how do we redesign this program to encompass both a quality health ed and physical education program? And then, just as a side note, um, Shape America through the Professional Preparation Council, in collaboration with the Health Council and the PE Council, I guess, um, are working on a quality um, a, a guidance document for quality programs for health education, physical education, and combined programs, and it's going to be designed as a way to like, these are the minimum things that you should have. If you're offering health education, certification, PE certification, and then those dual programs, and then like minimums, like this is like ideal. And then this is like gold standard. And so I would love for everybody to give feedback on that. We're going to be presenting a rough draft of it, um, at convention on the 26th on that Tuesday. So just something to, to have on your radar is something that hopefully helped by this help people structure good programs in the future. Excellent.
0: Thanks for Aaron for that. And we'll be looking out for that um, at the convention. Um, Christy, do you wanna unmute yourself and jump in?
8: Yeah. And I, I'm coming from a health program. Emily and I actually work at the same college. And so, you know, I'm actually one of the only fully full health programs in the state of Illinois. Um, Most have endorsements, but we actually still have, you can do complete health or PE or endorsements in each. And I just wanted to kind of shout out to Tyler what he was saying. I mean, that's exactly happening to even the health education majors, like adding on an extra semester to do the PEAT when you hear from the building principals, like, why don't these kids have PEAT and health, right? You know, Um, They want them to have both in order to hire them because so many high schools, especially have moved, moved to in Illinois, at least a wellness model where one day a week they're doing physical education in the health time, you know Um, so it's become almost challenging just to even like, you know, when students come to us, unless they're freshmen, if they're transfers, it's really hard to get out into, you know, in the two years. So how do we even, you know, get the data from the existing principals and understand like what's happening in the schools so that it forms us as higher ed faculty to say like this is what the schools need, but like as far as what the teachers need. Because so many of our our students, um, 50% of Pete and you know all of I would say health are need to have both, right? In order to be successful and really get a job. Unless they want to do um I'm getting a lot of requests for case K- three bilingual health ed teachers is something that's been um, recent requests that I've been getting. And then also, obviously, we hear a lot about in Illinois, the junior high teachers are typically using, you you they're looking for just a health teacher. They are, they're more than happy to hire a full health teacher versus one that's in a high school, they would need to have health and PE. So there's a lot of things going on with it. And I'm excited to hear from all of you about just these collaborative ideas, because As a parent who pays for two kids in college, it'd be great to get them out in 120 credits.
1: Yeah, and I think thanks, Christy, for jumping on. We we are at the same institution. So I love having you here today to to have your input and share with others what's going on in the state of Illinois. Um, one of the things that that Erin mentioned, and it's kind of come up in the chat, and it and Christy sort of alluded to it in different ways, is um, what role might our professional or state organizations or, or professional institutions, professional organizations might contribute to this in ways of like bringing health and um, physical education together or providing a little bit more of a, a divide um, what Erin mentioned what we're going uh, to, in terms of kind of a, a position statement, I wonder if there might be some thoughts or insights from, from folks on the call as to what you would like to see from SHAPE or Sophie or other professional organizations to help bring um, Health and BE together, at least into the same room, to start having these conversations and move forward. It was alluded to earlier in terms of uh, revising of, of standards and how that movement is going, but, um, if you'd be willing to share, like what do you think might be helpful? How might a, how might some professional organizations um, help to facilitate this in a more structured way? That's a real off the cuff question. So I'll give folks a chance to think about it and then raise your hand. We'd love to hear your
7: thoughts. I wonder what it might look like to provide um, some
2: some, course online course modules or something like that that don't necessarily live in one place cuz you know you can transfer courses to different different platforms and so you know what if a group came together and created some course modules that then districts could then download into their local systems and use that content at the local level to support physical education and health education teachers at that level. Um, I found that the problem with creating some of those courses is that they are um, often, it's a challenge to get to them. Folks don't go there regularly. You know, They've got to go somewhere different. If it's at the local level within their within their learning management system that they have at the, at the district level, teachers will be much, much more likely to go to those. So maybe some common course Structures developed across multiple organizations to support that might be helpful.
0: Thanks, Jamie. Um, Jay, do you want to unmute yourself and jump in?
9: Yeah, thanks very much. Um, You know, from a national organization point of view, I really would love to hear them advocate for logical areas of overlap and less siloing of content and things like that. But at the same time, I start to worry that if we do that, um, school districts or states might see it as a way to say, oh, I can teach health and physical education in a combined wellness format now. And we might lose you know, what's already far too little of our time. So, you know, I think SHAPE needs to really push for doing that, but also push to say that we do not believe that this is a combined thing. We just want more time, if anything, maintaining the mandates, which (laughs) I know that SHAPE frequently has, you know, guidelines for how much it should be taught, but I don't know how much that's followed.
1: Sort of, look kind of speaks to a little bit of, like, content expertise, like, are you going to develop content expertise in one area, and then be able to transfer that over into another area? Or do you combine and, and become an expert across both disciplines? And then in that case, you are? um, What implications does it have for school level?
6: Yeah, go ahead, Chad.
7: I'll jump in Uh, based on, uh, I think Aaron, you were talking about a
10: gold standard approach. Maybe I missed something in the weeds there, but based on kind of what Sarah was saying earlier that there's sort of a lack of um, framework for what health education even is, how can Shape America recommend a gold standard? What are they basing that gold standard approach to health education on? If there's a distinct lack of evidence related to effective practice, and a distinct lack of sort of um, framework for what health education actually is. That seems no, a little Chad, bit irresponsible um, to me if we're trying to promote best practice, maybe like, maybe it's just a semantic issue or maybe I'm, I'm not familiar with the process.
6: Um, I mean, that's a great question. I think that um, you raise a good point, um, but I, I would argue that although we don't have a lot of research on curriculum and instruction and health education specifically, I would say that there is a a lot of education research that kind of can, we can inform. There's a lot of physical education research that can inform um, as well as a lot of quality programs. And I say quality lightly because obviously they're not um, uh, evaluated but I think that there's things that we know that should be happening in health education programs. And so um, I, I, I don't have an answer for you because I am not Shape America, but I mean, I will say that this was a task force. This was a ground up thing. This wasn't something that Shape um, put on us. It was something that the professional prep council said this is something that we see as lacking in the field. And really from a practitioner standpoint, practitioner being higher education faculty, which is who comp- comprises the professional prep council, um, You know, we see a lack of guidance from Shape America it, as to how those standards, the HEAT standards and the PEAT standards um, are implemented and how we can cover quality content Um, within programs, within the credit hours that were limited. And so this is really um, health and physical education, teacher educators working together to try to provide some guidance in what that might look like. And so that's why I say it's collaborative. I think it's important to understand that it is informed by standards. It's informed by um, not only the heat standards and the PEAT standards, but also in case um, not in Kate. Sorry, in task standards, in um, looking at like what is going to be in those programs, um, and then just that's why we're trying to get feedback from people because I don't I don't think we know, and we can't wait though to have a plethora of research and quality research on health ed before we try to make suggestions on how we can make programs stronger. Does that make sense?
10: Yeah, definitely. I, and I didn't, I wasn't meant to be critical to what you said or even ship America. It's just, I, you know, I think all of these issues are intertwined. You know, we like you said, we can't wait for the, the research. That'll take a lot of time. We have to put something out there to guide practice um, and help teachers. And we can base that on heuristics and and insight from others and, and all of that. I guess I was just concerned with like this idea of gold standard. If somebody looks at that and uses that as their guide and then eventually research sort of counters that or, or deviates in some ways from that, you know, what impact could that have to practice down the road? I'm probably thinking about this too much in the weeds, but I I was just curious about the process and and why they chose maybe to call it the gold standard when there wasn't a whole lot of evidence about it.
0: I think one thing to think is any uh, doctoral students on here, if you haven't decided your area of research, you know, health education, um, pedagogy would be a good one for you. Not only
1: that, but if you're a doctoral student on here, this is so such positive discourse, right? Like having conversations like this is so important and so needed. So um, thanks for being here and sharing those things that kind of push us along the way. Um, Erin, do you want to jump in, Erin Sweeney?
11: Yeah, sure. Thanks. I really wasn't preparing the talk, so I'm not going to turn on my camera. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But just a little background on me. I got my Ph.D. from the University of Toledo under the mentorship of Sue Telljohn, who is pretty high in the health education field. Um, So. From my standpoint, and I'll go to the professional organization one, because that's what I commented about first, is that when SHAPE did their and I don't know what happened because I wasn't involved, but when they restructured, we had a lot of our health education people, including Sol- Sue Teljon, move over into Asha and Sophie. And I think now is the time to rebridge that. And I don't know what happened, what the bad waters are, but I know a lot of those people are starting to move on and retire. And I think part of the issue was they didn't think SHAPE was taking health education serious enough. Um, And so I actually serve on leadership positions in Asia, Sophie, and I'm helping write the health standards for SHAPE. Um, So I'm trying to cross those lines. I know there's lots of issues still there with individuals, but I'm one of those people willing to go across the bridge and see what we can do to start. Um, reconnecting that health education piece. And then to Tyler's comment about Slippery Rock University, I actually got my undergrad there years ago, and I recently looked at their program, and it's very similar to what I got when it was called Health and Physical Education. I think they just rebranded their name in hopes to make them stand apart. So in my opinion, it's not much different from other health and physical education majors out there. They just kind of have a different name. Um, And then for the comment about uh, health pedagogy, there actually is a lot of research out there, but just not in the Joford. So if you look at the OSHA uh, journals or even the Sophie journals, you're seeing, and I have a lot of colleagues who actually do health pedagogy. Um, so there is some stuff out there about health pedagogy and some better information. And I'm one of those people who do pedagogy as well for health. But if you look at the CDC, Characteristics of Effective Health Education Curriculum, not necessarily saying that's a gold standard, but that is something that has been researched. And we know if a health education program contains X, Y, and Z, that is going to be more effective. And so we also need to model our undergraduate programs using X, Y, and Z. And I make sure in all of my health classes that they're at least getting all of the effective characteristics somewhere, maybe split up differently. But as Sarah mentioned, the students are practicing the skills. My students are learning about health theory, health research, protective and risk factors, school connectedness and emotional health. And so I think that is definitely a document that we can use to help guide us and what should be in those uh, health and PE undergraduate programs.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for that, Aaron. Um, Sarah, we'll come back to you. And I think interestingly, too, and Kim mentioned this earlier in the chat, um, Sarah is um, on the ballot for president for Shape America. And I think that that is an important piece, right, for us to be elevating health education and health education, teacher education, and having you know, someone in um, Sarah's role in that, in that position could be really helpful from a professional organization standpoint. So. Um, Sarah, did you want to jump back in?
3: Um, yeah, I, I I wanted to jump back in more so in relation to the question about the research. and um, I appreciate Aaron and, you know, other folks who put things in the chat. So I just I maybe want to sort of build on that to say that I think, um, all the approaches that are out there are, you know, like, at, at least evidence informed, if not, I mean, and this is again, like a language thing, right? Like, so what do we mean the distinction between evidence formed versus evidence-based? Um, and so like people have shared, I, I think it is important. Um, and if I sort of spoke when I was getting too excited off the cuff and made it seem like this isn't the case, I apologize. I think there is a lot of evidence that we have to inform pieces of it, but there's really not like research that looks at like you know the, the program that teachers are doing, that's like homegrown, you know, looking at outcomes, right? Because it's hard to measure that because there's so many variables that go into it. So that's why a lot of the programs, I think Jamie, you mentioned this, like a lot of what we have research on is either like in the pedagogy space or it's in the like pre-packaged program space, because that's easier to measure, right? Like when you give someone something and they can teach it with fidelity, you can measure it easily. So I think, um, you know, everything that we're talking about and everything that we're doing, um, you know, is is informed by evidence and best practice. And like Aaron Santeo brought up, right? Like using learning theory and, you know, again, all these other pieces. Um, and so really, I think what we found when we were doing the research review is just, but that sort of like holistic look at like, even, even for example, right? So like in the National Health Education Standards, if you actually get the hard copy of the book, um, there's one paragraph that talks about research that supports that you basically don't see you. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but you don't see behavior change until you have at least 80 hours of health education, like per academic year, when you, especially when you get to like second, like nobody's even getting like, like close to that. Right. Or like, maybe you are like one time, um, or whatever. So I I think it's, um, know, I I think there's a lot of ways that we need to think about how we kind of continue to support and advocate and like build up the base um, for us to be able to really advocate and push for, you know, like those 80 hours and those other pieces. Um, But I just wanted to kind of circle back because I think, um, you know, people have given great suggestions. And like I said, I don't want to make it seem like everyone's just out there like willy nilly doing whatever for health. Um, Cause it's all grounded, but it's just, I was, I was kind of frustrated by the lack of like clear sort of evidence that I think a lot of people to, and you know, I also want to be respectful of the fact that I also think that there's something that we need to think about as like what we sort of look for as evidence in higher education versus like what maybe we need in terms to, in sort of advocating for something being effective, um, I don't know. So I, I don't think I have a complete thought, but I just, I did want to circle back to say, I didn't, I didn't mean to make it sound like <laughs> there is no research supporting health education. It's just sort of not where I think we need to be. And it's certainly not as robust as what we see for physical education in terms of really being able to kind of double down and say like, no, we have the evidence that shows that this is really effective in the ways that it's actually done in schools, right? Like we have a lot of research that says that there are pieces that we know, or again, if you take a prepackaged curriculum, it works in certain populations, but we just don't have like a really robust set of literature to go back to. So
2: I hope that clarifies. Well, and can I add just something cool to that? I think that, that the measure, one of the differences is that the measures that we're looking at is either changing, is mostly changing behaviors, right? And so if that's, that's a much higher measure than what some other content areas might be looking for. So if you look at a math curriculum, they just, they're just they looking at change in knowledge, whereas we're looking at change in behaviors, which is much, much more complicated. Um, if we just said we wanna look at change in knowledge, we would probably be great, but we wanna change behaviors. So I think the standard is much more higher in health education than it might be in other areas of, of education.
3: And also to piggyback on that, when you think about all the things that influence health behavior, I mean, you can't control for all those variables ever really. Right. And so, I mean, I think even, even just reflecting on, and this is maybe is like another question to think about is like, okay, so then what are the measure, like what is, what is the kind of research that we need? Right. Like, and I'm a qualitative researcher. So I'm like, Hey, if we go in there and these students are like, I feel more confident, you know, leaving this health class or like, I, I really feel like I I mean, you know, to me that's valuable. So even if like it, I don't know, you know, I, I think I think that's also something I reflect on a lot too, is I guess it goes back to my point before is like, what is the evidence that we really need? What is the evidence that's going to be most effective in pushing it? Because I think it's always going to be a challenge. And I've always said this in school districts, right? You can't tie the effectiveness of your health education program to your YRBS data because from your health education classroom to your YRBS data and the the decisions students are making in their lives. Like there's too many things that get in the way, but then we don't have like another good mechanism for helping people really evaluate. I mean, it's like another thing, maybe that's an idea right there, right? Like, can we support people in being able to, you know, create measures that maybe are things that they can collect, like even sort of, you know, more informal data of of their programs of like what students are coming out of that program with and, you know, and building on. I mean, I think there's lots of ways to think about it, but I appreciate you bringing that up, Jamie, because I do think that um, part of it really is the challenge in what we're trying to measure. And then recognizing that because we're not just looking at knowledge and we're looking at things like behaviors and attitudes and values and beliefs that are influenced by so many other factors, like what is the evidence then that we really need to be able to say that this you know works so yeah thanks so much I
0: really appreciate um the the conversation and I think it's actually not dissimilar in some ways to the same challenges we face in physical education because while yes we do have I think a larger evidence base not everyone would agree on how we are measuring effectiveness of physical education you know is it 50% MVPA? Is it this or that? And, and really at the end of the day, the goal is to, you know, develop lifelong movers, right? People that want to be active later in life. And we can't assess that either um, in the same way that you're talking about with some of those, um, some of those issues in health education. So um, some good points there. Um, I want to close with one kind of last prompt. Um, and then if, if other folks like have things that they want to contribute, I Uh, Actually, Clancy, I'll I'll have you jump in first before I come to the next prompt, just in case yours relates to what we were just talking about.
9: Thanks, Jamie. And it's nice to see everyone. Uh, I'm just going to circle back to uh, a little bit of this discussion, but the standards themselves, the heat standards. Um, And again, this is just from my perspective, and I would certainly default to our experts like Sarah and Dr. Cardina and others alike in heat that would know more about this. I was on a call last night and I've been asking these questions for a couple of years now, but when shape kind of w- went a different direction and became shape and w- with the disbandment of the Afort Alliance, there was Sophie, there was Ahi and Sophie and Ahi developed the standards and it appears that shape has taken the standards and now they're divided. Revising the standards, but now Sophie is doing standards and I and I detect a turf war when it comes to standards right now. Shape America is saying that they've got the K through 12 standards. And maybe again, this is just my humble perspective, and maybe I'm wrong. Again, I'll defer to the experts, but I just I detect a turf war when it comes to these standards right now.
6: Does anyone want to respond? Leave
1: it leave it to Clancy to just put it out there. Yeah. Yes. Sarah, do you want do you want to jump in
3: on that? I don't know if I do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I mean, you know, I guess what I'll say is that I think um, that this is an issue that we need to address. I think everybody would agree that it's a challenge for the field to have two sets of standards out there. Um, and I think for me, and you know, I, I know I see Aaron and, and Kim too. So, you know, you will be interested to know how you build on this, but I think um, for me, I would say that it's about building those bridges so that we can make sure that we are doing the best that we can to support the field of health education. I was just again talking about this today. And I think for me, um that's what we need to really focus on moving forward so that we can effectively support the field um, and not create a situation where, um, you know, we're 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 providing more challenge than we are solutions, but that's kind of my two cents.
0: Thanks, Um, Erin Sweeney, um, do you wanna jump in and then we'll come to you, Kim?
11: Hi, yes, so like I said, I'm on the revision for the SHAPE uh, health education standards. I was actually also asked by the CEO, Sophie, who has now retired uh, to be on the expert review panel for the standards Sophie's working on. So uh, I'm one of those people who are on both. Um, so what I can tell you from being on both sides of the stream here is that there was a, there was a turf war between some administration and organizations. Um, however, I think that people are trying to move on from that. And right now, SHAPE has a copyright to the standards, which is why they're the ones who are currently revising and working on it. They hold the standards right now. Sophie has kind of, um, they haven't made as much movement forward on this. And I think they're kind of trying to see where things are going to go as well. So where I do think, like I've mentioned before, I do think there is a turf war possibility. But I think there is enough of us and young people like me willing to say, okay, what's going on and let's move toward each other instead of away again. Um, And I think that in the upcoming year or so, hopefully those things will start to iron themselves out. So currently, there isn't any push from Sophie to really get on the move of doing those standards and doing some work because we're trying to figure out what does health education need from us right now. Um, And we're really focusing more on the advocacy piece of let's make sure states want health education because without that, we're not even going to need standards if the states aren't even going to allow us to teach it. Um, And so I think right now, Sophie's looking more at the advocacy piece and they have some other things going on while SHAPE has been moving forward with the standards. Um, But if anybody else wants to chat more about what's going on, feel free to reach out to me and I put my email in the chat box. Awesome, thanks so much, Erin. Kim, did you wanna jump in or were you good?
4: Yeah, thank you, Erin, so much for that. I can't add a lot to what you said, so that thank you for saying all that. Um, I have heard that Sophie wasn't moving forward at this time right now so much, and um, I was I was kind of glad to hear some of that. I don't hear as much as um, you would know, so I'm glad of that as well. And Shape is going to move forward um, with our standards. I think the thing that I want to say is that as long as our field is divided with the organizations, we're not doing anybody any good, and especially our kids. So to your point, Erin, whatever you know, our members can do. I think we're the voice of everything. Our, the administrative part of it um, maybe don't need to be as involved. <laughs> you know, they work for us. And so I think that our membership of all the organizations need to um, sort of think about this and, and let them know that we need to stand uh, together uh, for this subject, you know, for health and, and bring things back together. Because even in advocacy, if we're not together, we don't need to be on the Hill separately. We all need to be there together. We need to be fighting for the same things. We need to be saying the same things, you know, standard wise, we need to be working on same things. We don't have to do everything together, but we still should be, we still should be forging, you know, in the same direction. So, so thank you for that. And, um, I've heard, saw a couple of people I would like us to to find a way um, to help, uh, especially us in higher ed. I think that makes a ton of difference um, as to where we're gonna guide our students. I think we do have a voice in that. So I'd love to see us take some sort of a a leadership role in that.
0: Thanks for that. Um, So we are coming um, to a close here in a few minutes, and I wanna give Sarah and Jamie, who um, were invited panelists today, of an opportunity to sort of like, maybe leave us off on like a hopeful note of like, you know, um, you know, what we can do um, from a positive standpoint. And as they're kind of formulating those things, I also just wanted to um, thank everyone for your contributions today, because this, these are the kinds of conversations that we need to have. And this shows the fact that we can, you know, we have a lot more in common as far as our issues and potential solutions, I think, than sometimes we think. And 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 let's be honest, you know, the health of our our young people is under threat right now in this country with you know mandates in different states of you know around things that people can say and not say and you know, um, and, and how people can be their authentic selves. And so I think you know, health education is so important right now given some of those things. And so I'm really happy that we can all be here um, having this conversation. Um, But maybe I'll go um, to Jamie first, and then, um, you know, Sarah, as far as like leaving us kind of with a, with a last thoughts or like hopeful message for the future.
2: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, as, as I'm working with schools across our state here, and I'll just speak to that as that, um, Teachers are are really uh, at the elementary school. I would say are really doing their best and really leveraging everyone in their building to support health, health education. Whether it's counselors, social workers, physical education teachers, classroom teachers are picking up pieces that they they are really um, you know looking at the entire school and saying we all need to come together to teach health education. And so, despite Maybe not having a dedicated health educator, they are making it work, and I think the push for social emotional learning has been great, and it's really getting people thinking about how can we expand on this work, um, how can we build off of this, and I think that that is one piece that um, you know we're, we're in a in a horrible place in terms of, of mental health, I would say, but I think we at least have schools starting to look at that and moving forward and seeing the importance of it and the connections. And so, um, you know, that's the one, one positive piece that I would say is happening in schools um, across our state here.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for that, Jamie. Um, Sarah, how about you?
3: Um, Yeah, I mean, I'd love to have some like really great thing to leave you all with. (laughs) I think I'm just echoing what Jamie said, and I would just go back to what I think I said at the beginning that, you know, as much as I think we do have a lot of challenges, I, I truly in my core believe we still have a lot of opportunity. And I think, um, we just need to capitalize on that and we need to keep pushing things forward and we need to do a lot of both and thinking, um, get creative and just not let, um, I think sometimes, and I'm an in the weeds person, so I I can appreciate getting there, but I think we have to make sure we think about ways to really keep moving forward, even as we're trying to address some of these issues that are are coming up, Um, because I think we can't lose any momentum and we have to try to gain any momentum that we can Um, right now, again, like that opportunity in the midst of chaos and really try to um, just continue to move forward and you know, like again, you know, we're we're all here together this afternoon, right? I mean, and and this is this is part of the work to do. So, I think it's just remaining hopeful, remaining committed, um, and just knowing that, right? Like at the end of the day, we're all here because we believe deeply in what we're doing, and we are all committed to supporting the health and well being of young people. So, I feel like truthfully, if we continue to keep that at the forefront of what we're doing, right, and the joy of what of the work that we do, and um, that that will help guide us, even even as we face these real challenges. So I would say just like focus on the joy, you know, focus on the young people who we are, you know, wanting to help, and the young the young people then who become adults and right, and then and then all the ripple effects of all the work that we're doing. So, I think it's like not toxic positivity, but, you know, like, like kind of keeping, keeping that, like keeping our why, I guess is what I'm trying to say, like, right, like keep our why at the forefront um, and really just continue to work for what we know um, is at the heart of what we're all doing.
0: Awesome.
3: It seems like a very appropriate place um,
0: for us to call um, this collaborative to a close. I just do want to remind everyone Um, that we do meet every month um, on the second Thursday of every month. I believe it's April 14th is our next um, session, 4 p.m. Eastern time and always the same Zoom link. Um, Risto, if you wanna throw your email into the chat, if people are not on the listserv to get the email, um, you can um, email Risto and he um, can get you added to the list. Um, So there it is there. And again, thanks again so much. Um, We'll officially close the collaborative and if folks want to stick around for a few more minutes for informal discussion, you're more than welcome. So thanks again to Jamie and Sarah and everyone who contributed their perspectives today. Um, We are stronger because we have this community. So thanks so much for being here.